This is Melange à deux, a Vienna podcast. Herzlich willkommen. That's me. We're back, and I'm with Hair X. Say hello. Hello. Uh, today we are actually podcasting from a different location in the apartment, so it's a little echoey. The reason being is that Batling, aka Kiddo, is around. So if you hear noise noises in the back, just remember it's a child, be kind. But we'll try our best to pause whenever he comes in and needs immediate attention. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. As you could probably hear from my voice, it's a little bit better than last time where I was in the beginning of a cold and uh, now I'm out of it. So we're not we're, out of it. Now I'm in it. We're all, we're all so happy and we're grateful. Uh, I wanted to also say thank you to everybody who, who has listened already to the Hedy Lamar episode. That was amazing. We've been looking at our analytics and it's incredible. Yeah, we're in the top 25% <laughs> podcast worldwide. Um, also, thank you for all the great comments. And if you get a chance to review us, give us five stars, please. It really helps our marriage. <laughs> <laughs> um, before I get started, I wanted to ask if you wanted to make an addendum to last week's podcast in regards to Mickey Mantle. Yes, actually, it was really funny because I was listening to it, and it's always weird to hear your own voice. And then I remembered, as soon as you mentioned 61, that Dr. Feelgood was providing the shots to Mickey Mantle, which caused an abscess to his hip. And of course, it was 1961. And I said, oh, of course, that was 61, where Maris broke Babe Ruth's home run record. And of course, Mickey was the odds-on favorite, and everyone was very excited to have Mickey Mantle break it, and he could not. So who knows what would have happened if Dr. Feelgood, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know how it caused an abscess, uh, but I guess you have to choose where you put your shot. Um, okay, next time I shoot up, I'll, I'll figure it out. So, so kids, when you do drugs, no, don't put no, it into don't your. Don't do drugs. <laughs> oh no, we are a clean, family-friendly. We are, podcast. of course, not recommending drugs. <laughs> drugs are bad, and uh, Mickey like... Mantle showed it. <laughs> and alcohol is bad. Yes. Um, his, his liver showed it. His liver showed it. Okay, so that was your addendum. Mm -hmm. And I guess today we're going to be talking about Freud. Mm -hmm. And I'm bringing this up into two parts because there's a lot of information. Also, I'm not going to go into everything, like every Freud theory, because there's just so much. He wrote so many things. So if people are interested, they can always look up um, different things. There's also a podcast series from the Freud Museum of London, Psycho Psychoanalysis Podcast. I tried to listen to one about humor, Freud on humor, and it was not funny. It was very serious. Was it written in German? <laughs> no, <laughs> but it's two very, very small, smart, smart, smart podcast hosts who are Freud experts. So if you do want to do a deep dive, I would okay. highly recommend that podcast. Um, okay, so my sources today uh, for this is Freud, or are, Freud, A Graphic Guide to the Father of Psychoanalysis by Richard Apignanesi and Oscar Zarate, The New Yorker, quote, Why Freud Survives, quote, article by Louis Menand, August 21st, 2017. The New York Post, uh, New Yorkers are, 
Oh yeah, the New York Post, sorry, article, New Yorkers are ditching therapists for psychics. Quote, I just kind of gave up. Quote, October 9th, 2023, by Alexandra Klausner. Britannica.com, FreudMuseum.at, the American Psychoanalytic Association, uh, ASPA.org, HarleyTherapy.co.uk, PsychologyToday.com, the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum website, the Live Science article, quote, was Freud, was Freud right about anything? Quote, dated March 21st, 2020 by Benjamin Plackett. So those are my sources. I, I did mean, a lot of research. I think you needed more sources. <laughs> so what do you know about Freud? Like, what would be your assessment of, or what, you, what you've heard about in regards to Freud? Well, Freud, uh, uh, I know of him as the grandfather of... Uh, psychoanalytics, psychoanalysis, uh, or analysis, as a, a lot of if you if you live in a German-speaking country and you hear Germans speak English, they'll usually speak English better than we do. <laughs> we do, uh, but analysis is how they usually say analysis, which I always find funny. Um, but uh, yeah, so I know that psychoanalysis, analysis, or <laughs> psychoanalytics, and. Um, well, uh, the Freudian slip, of course, mm -hmm. which was that really horrible situation that he had on an ice rink once. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, and, of course, that, you know, he grew up in, or he was in Vienna. Um, that's all I know about him. Okay. Yeah, well, so I'm ready to learn. Ready to learn. All like right. Like the rest of our listening audience. Okay, so let's get started. Yeah. Part one of The Hunt for Freud October. <laughs> So his real name was actually Sigismund. Sigismund. Slomo. Slomo. Freud. So he was born May 6, 1856, in Freiburg, in Meren, Moravia, which was the Austrian Empire at the time. It's now Czechia. He was a Galician Jew, just like Hedy Lamar's father. His father, Jacob or Jakob, was a wool merchant. His mother, Amelie Nathanson, was his father's second wife. Jacob was 40 when Sigmund was born. Okay. 40. Uh, 40. He had two older half-brothers from his dad's previous marriage, and he was the oldest of his mother's children. After, birth, after his birth, she had seven more children. Wow. The second son died in infancy. And I'll talk a little bit about the, about the siblings at the end of the podcast. His father was somewhat absent, and he was very close to his mother as the firstborn son to her. I'm giving you a look. Well, you're the firstborn son. Yes. <laughs> you're the favorite. <laughs> uh, in 1859, for economic reasons, the family moved to Leipzig and then a year later to Vienna. Freud always hated Vienna, even though he spent 78 years there. What? Yeah. Oh, what? but he did not like Vienna. No, but he, he, he moved there when he was like two. Well, I'm guessing because it was the big city and where he can really establish himself or... What was that? Well, we'll probably get to that. Well, one. I told you because his parents moved there. Were you listening? Okay. <laughs> you were staring at the laptop. <laughs> I'm really, uh, by the way, I'm very mesmerized by the, well, because, you know, I'm trying to get the acoustics right. Yeah. Uh, I have one friend who is very, uh, let's just say his ears really, uh, he, he, he has a lot of comments. He's a lot so, of <laughs> so we're trying to make the acoustics a little bit better, and uh, so I, I will stop looking at the laptop. Yeah, don't look at the laptop. Okay. Okay, so he lived there for 78 years, yeah. and he hated the city, so he was actually very Viennese. Uh, one theory is why he hated Vienna was for its growing anti-Semitism and his dislike of the monarchy. 
Freud's boyhood, boyhood heroes were anti-monarchist Oliver Cromwell and Hannibal. Oh. So at the age of 12, his father asked him, why Hannibal? And he responded, because he was a Semitic leader who fought the Romans. That's really interesting. <laughs> Hannibal is at the Alps. Um, Jacob Freud then tells Freud uh, Sigmund a story. A Gentile knocked my cap into the gutter and said, Jew, get off the pavement. And Sigmund asked, what did you do? And Jacob just says, well, I picked up my cap. And this interaction really affected Freud. He mm. was really upset about this situation because for him, he couldn't believe his father wouldn't have fought back or mm. been heroic. So I think this is, it played a big role in his future. Mm. Uh, in 1873, Freud graduates from the Sperlgymnasium. Gymnasium here means high school. Uh, this was in the second district. I think it still is. And it's near Mochi and Tabostrasse. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not the Mochi in the market, the other Mochi. Yes. Yes. And that's more uh, Nestroyplatz, no? Yeah. But it was between Tabostrasse and Nestroyplatz. Okay. Um, it was a very Jewish area and continues to be today. Well, there was a short period of time it wasn't very Jewish. But <clears throat> anyway... After he graduates high school, he gets inspired by a public reading of an essay of Goethe. Mm -hmm. And originally I was confused because Goethe died in 1832, but somebody was reading a Goethe speech gotcha. or story about nature, so he chooses medicine as his study of choice. He becomes a doctor in 1881 at the University of Vienna. In 1882, he enters the general hospital, the Akaha, in Vienna as a clinical assistant with psychiatrist Theodor Maynard, with who he spends five months studying with at the psychiatric clinic with a prof and with a professor of internal medicine, Hermann Notnagel. The professor, or Dr. Maynard, was considered the greatest brain anatomist and neuropathologist at the time. Mm. So the old Akaha is the one that's now the university campus. And the new Akaha is that big brown building that I've pointed out, the huge one. Yes. Yes. So it's switched. Um, in 1884, he studies the use of cocaine, and he even dabbles in it. <laughs> this is purely for academic <laughs> reasons? Just for research. <laughs> Hell of a drug. <laughs> His reasoning being that it seems to be good as a local anesthetic during surgery. So if he puts it on... <laughs> Did it go... Yeah, it went screensaver. All right. <laughs> Go, go, go. Keep going. Okay, so I'm talking about cocaine. It's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> so he sees it as a good local anesthetic during surgery. He even uses it on his father when his father has eye surgery. He puts cocaine in the area that needs to be operated on. Oh, as a numbing uh, mm -hmm. agent? Okay. Yeah, local anesthetic. <laughs> Glad you're here. <laughs> he, he also believes that cocaine is a good antidepressant. Probably temporarily. <laughs> um, How do you feel now? <laughs> fantastic. Uh, he even convinces his wife to try it a few times. His good friend, uh, physiologist Ernst von Fleischel Marxow, suffers from a hand tumor and becomes addicted to morphine. So Freud suggests giving cocaine a try instead. <laughs> Unfortunately, he then becomes addicted to cocaine and eventually dies from that addiction. Freud's reputation is briefly ruined because of this. Yeah, well, cocaine. I would assume, yeah. But the funny thing is, is that people continue to talk about his cocaine use. It was for a brief period of time that he used it, and because his studio fifty four days, and he 
you know, it didn't, it didn't affect his work that much. Maybe it did. I don't know. I have to probably look into it. But it's like this weird thing that when people think about Freud, they often think about his cocaine addiction. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, so he definitely... That's true, because I think I saw what... There was one miniseries, and they really like showed that he's using cocaine quite often. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense, because he, he was working for quite a while, and usually yeah. people who have cocaine addictions usually don't work that well, so... yeah. So I'm guessing so it was a brief period. Brief period. And I think he thought of it as something that would be a good alternative to other anesthetics if they even used them back then. I'm so glad we don't live in that time. So let's talk about his wife, Martha Bernays. Not like the sauce, YS. Oh, I thought it was a sauce. Your eyes lit up. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great sauce. Great sauce. So they get married in 1886. Uh, She was raised in Hamburg in an Orthodox Jewish family. Her cousins on her mother's side would end up being the Phillips brothers of Phillips. Oh, okay. Yeah. Dutch then. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Martha was described as pretty and smart and loved to read. Freud and Martha were engaged for four years and he wrote her over 900 love, uh, long love letters during that time. Don't give me a look. I'm I, giving I write you, you. Write me a love letter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I write you uh, on Messenger. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Emojis. Um, so Freud was an atheist. He actually really, really disliked um, religion in general. So this is actually from a Wikipedia article, and it's hilarious. So Freud was, as an atheist, dismayed at the requirement in Austria for a Jewish religious ceremony and briefly considered, before dismissing, the prospect of joining the Protestant confession to avoid one. (laughs) A civil ceremony for Bernays and Freud took place on 13th September and a religious ceremony took place the following day, with Freud having been hastily tutored in the Hebrew prayers. (laughs) The Freuds had six children. Matilda, born in 87, Jean-Martin in 89, Oliver in 91, Ernst in 92, Sophie in 93, and Anna in 95. By all accounts, he was a very doting father. Uh, One article that I did see was when Freud wrote Martha. He says, say hello to the brats. (laughs) Tell them not to expect presents when I get back. (laughs) (laughs) So while many believed it was a happy marriage... Her younger sister, Minna, ended up moving in with them into their apartment. And there was a strong belief that Freud and Minna had an affair, but that Martha did not know about it. Yeah, but I mean, how how would they know this? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you. Okay. (laughs) And also, uh, Martha, his wife, was very much against infidelity. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of wives are, but she, she, she held a grudge because, for example... A friend of theirs, Stefan Zweig, who's this very famous Austrian writer, he left his wife, Frederica, for a younger woman. And even six years after his death, Martha wrote a letter to his wife um, showing that she was still outraged at Stefan's betrayal. She still resented, quote, our friend's infidelity to you. So Mm. Martha would hold a grudge. Okay. Kind of like her. But this is kind of about Minna and why they believe that maybe there was an issue was that in their apartment, Minna's room was just off the married couple's room, and she'd have to walk through their room to exit into the rest of the apartment. Okay. Kind of weird layout. Oh, and there was also a hotel registration logbook showing Freud checked into a hotel room with her. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a strange one. Yeah, and apparently some people say that the hotel was overbooked. 
And that's why they had to share a room. Yeah, but... What was it? Take your your in laws to uh, to travel day. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's also rumors that apparently he got her pregnant and paid for her abortion. Oof. Yeah. So that's it's always kind of popped up in different stories. So Martha and Freud, they had six children. Uh, she apparently was obsessed obsessive about punctuality and dirt. Well. For Austria, I can understand punctuality, but dirt? Well, I think like dirt in the apartment. Oh, okay. Yeah, then very Austrian. (laughs) Dirt. She just liked dirt. (laughs) Oh, I thought like, yeah, she liked to put her hands in the dirt. Um, She describes her first Friday Sabbath and when they got married as terrible because Freud, being anti-religion, forbade her from lighting the Shabbat candles. It's funny because like 900 love letters and they never discussed this before. So by all accounts, besides maybe infidelity, their 53 years of marriage were harmonious. And she even stated, there was not a single angry word between us. Mm. Thanks, cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's funny that she would say that because we literally almost had a fight about Italian versus Spanish food the other night. (laughs) Uh, Don't don't bring that up again. (laughs) Everyone knows Spanish food is better. Oh my God. All right. So between 1885 and 1886... Uh, Freud is awarded a grant and spends 19 weeks with Jean-Martin Charcot, who was a world-famous neurologist in France. His specialty was hysteria, and there were two theories at that time. The first theory, sorry, either it's an irritation of the female organs, or as Al Pacino would say, hoo By the way, I, I, I have my new dad joke. What was the Godfather's favorite coffee? What? And now Pacino. <laughs> I'll be here. Uh, I'll have many more the of next these. 30 Tune in for the next episode. All right. So the first theory is that. And the second theory is that women are play acting. Women be crazy. Mm-hmm. Charcot, however, this very famous neurologist, rejected both theories and said it wasn't inherently a female issue, but a male issue too. What, hysteria? Yeah. What, with the men getting hysterical? Yeah. Listen, I saw you at the Malaga airport when you dropped <laughs> off the rental car. <laughs> no, it's not hysteria. That, that's like ready to, 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 to cause damage. You were a little damage. hysterical. I was like, what? His <laughs> nose, nostril flaring. Yes, that's... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> tomato, tomato. You call it hysteria. <laughs> I call it being even keeled. Um, anyway, so Charcot thought it was an equal opportunity um, disease or issue. He also believed it was not imaginary, but rather a neurosis. So this became a big stepping stone for Freud in his future work. So in April 1886, Freud opens his practice on Berggasse as a neuropathologist, and that is near the Votivkirche, and I'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. October 15th of 1886, he gives a lecture to the Vienna Medical Society about male hysteria, and he's pretty much booed off the stage. Because <laughs> you were there. <laughs> Boo. 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 Everyone knows hysteria is where you just, you cure it by, you know, slapping a woman. <laughs> Several times. Several times. Snap out of it. Snap out of it. <laughs> I'm cured, doctor. <laughs> 
Uh, Freud considers electroshock therapy to be useless, and we saw that in Vienna Blood, where mm-hmm. there's that awful doctor who just zaps the crap out of people. Yeah, he, se- he seemed to really like zapping people. For I, no- I think so. Yeah. Um, also, if I was being zapped, I'd be like, you know what? Cured. Thank you. <laughs> I feel great. But he realized that electroshock therapy could be could work in terms of power of suggestion. Mm-hmm. So he looks into hypno- hypnotism yeah. at that point. He uses it for a couple of years, but by 19, I'm sorry, by 1892, he gives up on hypnotism and focuses on the pressure technique. He had his patients lie on a couch and he would press his hand to their forehead and ask questions. I guess he thought this was a method hmm. to get answers. In 1896, his father passes, and this is when he writes uh, his paper, Interpretation of Dreams. And dreams in Freud was a very interesting concept because the idea was pretty much what your subconscious was telling you through these dreams. Mm. Maybe your desires and what you wanted. And it's, yeah, it was very complicated and very, there was a lot of information and I'm not going to talk about it because it confused me. In 1902, (laughs) (laughs) he becomes an affiliated professor. I don't know what an affiliated professor is. It's like, you know, he's, he's standing next to one. <laughs> he's affiliated with one. I could be then one, too. I'll just well, It's kind of like, professor. I'm guessing what they call nowadays uh, adjunct professor, maybe, like... Okay. Professor Light. Professor Light. <laughs> Diet professor. <laughs> so, between 1902 and 1908, he attracted followers and pioneer uh, psychoanalysts, including Carl Jung. Jung. Oh, okay. Carl Jung. Jung. So there's a movie called A Dangerous Method that shows a fictionalized interaction between Freud and Jung. It's starring uh, Viggo Mortensen and Michael Fassbender and Kara Knightley. Mm. And it's salacious. But apparently the whole thing is kind of made up. But they did have a falling out uh, at one point. Uh, what I found really interesting was that Freud was really impressed by Jung and even more pleased that he wasn't Jewish. Why? Because he was so smart. <laughs> you seem very Jewish. Joan couldn't throw a baseball. I can say that I'm Jewish. No, no, no. Hank come on. Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax. Um, no, the reason for the reason the reason why he was he was happy he wasn't Jewish is because at the time. There were so many Jewish psychoanalysts, and he didn't want it to be associated as a Jewish thing. Oh, okay. But we are their best customers. (laughs) (laughs) I have been in therapy for the past year, and I feel great. (laughs) I do need electroshock therapy. Okay, so in April 1908, with this kind of group of followers and Jung and and gaining more prestige, it's the first international congress, which was held in Salzburg. And this is kind of a group of psychoanalysts meeting and discussing things. Now... 1909, Freud sets sail to the United States. This is the first and last time he will go to America. Uh, He... He must have loved it. He must must have said, you know what, these people... Oh, I I have information. So he's invited over to give a lecture at Clark University in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Do you know Clark? Clark. Lois and Clark? Clock. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was in Boston. Clock. So he goes to Clark University of Massachusetts. He gave five lectures over five days in German and received his only honorary doctorate. I can just imagine being like, speak American. (laughs) (laughs) So he did not like America and he called it a big mistake. A big mistake? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, little did he know 2016 was going to happen. Yeah. 
So this is absolutely fascinating. This is from Psychology Today and some examples of why he didn't like it and it made me laugh so hard. So Freud saw Americans as narrow-minded and anti-intellectual. He was invited by Clark University because his psychoanalytic theories had begun to interest both psychiatrists and the public. This may at first appear to contradict the presumption of anti-intellectualism, but Freud perceived the Americans, even the practitioners, were seizing upon the more titillating aspects of his theories and trivializing psychoanalysis. This is but one example of his contempt for the American mental landscape. He thought Americans overly pious, lacking respect for science, and excessively conforming to public opinion. <laughs> this was 1909. <laughs> I mean, he, he's obviously clairvoyant. Pioneer. <laughs> to continue on with the article, he disliked the mix of competitiveness and democracy. Freud saw evidence of this in those who called him Sigmund instead of Herr Doctor. He believed that this freewheeling egalitarianism combined with the grasping, never satisfied competitiveness of Americans, of American life, produced mediocrity in their culture and people. Well, I think he's, a, he's, he's actually a pretty good critic of the time, although, but then there was good things too, right? Of course, amazing. Well, no. So then let's keep going. Well, how did you like the burgers? Oh, we're going to get there. So Americans called him Sigmund instead of Dr. Freud in 1909 at the invitation. Okay. So, oh, this continues. Uh, he delivered several lectures and did some sightseeing before returning to Vienna. And again, again and again, people he met called him by his first name rather than doctor. He resented this presumed familiarity and lack of courtesy on the part of strangers. On his way to see Niagara Falls, Freud was invited to a barbecue in upstate New York. He later complained angrily that his steak had been cooked over an open fire by savages. <laughs> I mean, to, to be fair, the guy has Tafelschwitz, served elegantly in a nice cafe, hey, and hey, he goes wait. to a barbecue. Hey, Siggy, Siggy, you want, you want a medium? <laughs> He's like, you're not boiling the beef? Are you cooking it on an open flame? nice house well oh. did he try it though i mean i think if he did try it he would see well you know what a grilled steak he is probably actually did try it but i also would really pay good money for a mini series of freud in america it would oh. be hilarious was was that hey sigmund <laughs> dr freud <laughs> so that was 1909 and his one time to america by 1910 his friendship but let me let me just say i think uh he I mean, if you want to overgeneralize, but the, to be fair, was he in New York or did he go to Boston? <laughs> he was in Massachusetts. Was he? Yeah. I said Clock University in Massachusetts. Oh, that, that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, if, if he went, well, we he went, went to upstate to, New York. We went to Boston in April and you loved it. Okay, but he went to upstate New York and he went to Boston. And Niagara Falls. It's like, you know, if, you, if, I, if I take you to Salzburg to show you Austria... Yeah, you'd be like kind of disappointed because it's a very boring place. But if I take you to Vienna, then you're like, oh, yeah, I can see what all the fuss is about. If he went to New York, I'm, I'm sure he was like, wow, this is pretty great. No, because they were like, hey, Sigmund, <laughs> get out of the road. Well, first of all, how would they know that he was a doctor? Well, I'm pretty sure that he wasn't like going into shops. I think it was like pe like people from the university. Could you imagine like, hey, Sigmund, come on in. And he's like, I am doctor. <laughs> love it so uh, yeah he just did not like america well there the, the anti-intellectualism i think uh, still exists till today you know 
Well, if it's spoken by a nerd, like the way he said it, you know. But there, you know, there is a kind of belittling of uh, intellect that still exists. But I think he's overgeneralizing. I think he's overgeneralizing. I, I love America, USA. But I, I do think, I would, I would love to have seen what it was like for him in America. I think that would be... Well, I think he could open his mind. It's like, I think they go a little overboard here in Austria. What, what's the thing they do with, like, if you have five doctorates, then you're doctor, 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 so-and-so? Listen, if you worked hard for them... Fine, you worked hard for them, but it doesn't mean that you... Doctor squared. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know... I mean, if you, if, it's like the person with the vanity plates. It's like, we know, we know who you are. It's like, you don't have to put it on your car, you know? I'm going to get Dr. Freud. <laughs> I can't drive, but I, it's an idea. All right, so after his trip to America, 1910, his friendship with Carl Jung suffers and other psychoanalysis break off from his theories. They believed his personality to be tyrannical and dogmatic. That was, so he starts to lose kind of his core group of followers. So it's also around this time that anti-Semitism in Vienna has been really ramping up. Karl Lueger is the mayor of Vienna from 1875 until his death in 1910. There was a two-year break. I remember hearing about Dr. Karl Lueger being an anti-Semite years ago, and I, my first thought was, well, who wasn't at that time? But then it turned out they called him an anti-Semite back then. Oh. So he was a real <laughs> Jew hater. <laughs> Um, I will do an episode about him at some point because it's really interesting. He's a terrible person. This is a terrible thing he said, but it kind of made me laugh. He coined the term for Budapest, Judapest. <laughs> made me laugh. I know it's not funny, but I kind of was like, so in German it was Judapest. Judapest. <laughs> Oh, maybe they're saying they're, they're, they're the best. Yeah, they're the best. <laughs> they're the best. <laughs> so let's go now to 1914. Picture it. Belgrade. Wait, is it before the, before the, uh, the Archduke? Uh, the was... day. The day. Belgrade. Okay. Um, Francis Ferdinand is shot. Yes. Europe goes crazy. So World War I starts. Uh, initially, Freud was actually very supportive of the Austro-German alliance because his two sons were fighting for Austria. Mm -hmm. And he was very patriotic about it, but his support starts to fade after a couple of years. And he has a quote, Our civilization has been disfigured by a giant, gigantic hypocrisy. Can we ever again say we are civilized? Mm. At the Freud Museum, there is a diary entry dated April 25th. Quote, No Nobel Prize, 1917. He was upset. In 1917, his nephew dies on the front. 1918, the war ends and Freud says, quote, the Habsburgs have left nothing behind but a pile of crap. Well, in fairness, it was the war to end all wars, so... Well, no, it's not, because there was a war a few years later. <laughs> he also mourns the loss of his friend, Victor Adler, who I will talk about another time, and says, quote, Nothing can likely be done with the Christian socialists and German nationalists, which turned out to be pretty much the blueprint or roadmap for Hitler's rise to power. In 1919, he's finally made a full professor. 1919 to 1920, inflation is out of control and Freud loses all of his savings. He starts to look into the theory of death instinct, but he never stops publishing papers. So he's, he goes through different emotions, but he, he's just so prolific. In 1920, his daughter Sophie dies in Hamburg from the Spanish flu at the age of 26. 
He's absolutely dev- devastated. And only three years later, her son, who was his favorite grandson, passes away at the age of four and a half. Mm. I couldn't really find much information about how he passed. So, in 1923, he is diagnosed with oral cancer and has the first of 33 operations. What, what year was this? 1923. Okay. He smokes a lot of cigars. Mm. Uh, his upper jaw and palate from the right are removed, and he is fitted with a prosthetic. Oh. Which, so you see pictures, you can't tell, but he has a full prosthetic jaw and palate. For the last 16 of his years of his life, he was in pain, and his speech was definitely affected by it. Oof. Yeah. And that's 1920s prosthetics. I mean, if you've watched Boardwalk Empire, remember yeah, the guy, the guy with, with the, the, thing, with the yeah. half face? Aww. I always liked him. What happened to him? Uh, I don't know, but he was great, right? He was really good. I yeah. think I only watched that season. Yeah. Well, he was a war veteran. I'm guessing he came back. This yeah, it was, like, it was like leather or was it plastic? It was like uh, almost like a Phantom of the Opera yeah. type. Uh, yeah. yeah was, Pretty neat. No, yeah. Face <laughs> <laughs> to should bring it back. Super cool. <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Uh, so 1926 is Freud's 70th birthday. The Austrian radio pays tribute to him as well as the mayor of Vienna. And this is very... Something that we'll have to remember because this is kind of the 1920s. Everyone's really, you know, they're still kind of proud of Freud, even though he's a Jewish person. And the mayor of Vienna congratulates him. It's a big deal. And then his diary entry in 1929, quote, overlooked for the Nobel Prize. Quote. So I think he really wanted to win one, but yeah. I don't think he ever did. So we're kind of pretty much at the end of part one of this Freud okay. thing. Because I did not have the brain capacity to go into everything in terms of his theories and the papers he's published. But at this time, he was quite popular. He gained international notoriety. In the graphic novel, there's examples of different patients he has. And I didn't want to talk about it because it's, it's a lot about sexy things. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that's the, the other thing that I kind of omitted uh, that I knew about Freud. Uh, yeah. But uh, no, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. And next week we will kind of start talking about 1930s Vienna and Freud and kind of talk about a couple of his concepts and ideas and some of the terminology. 1930s in Vienna, which was a very quiet time. Nothing happened. Nothing Absolutely really happened. happened. <laughs> Uh, his story is a lot more tragic than I thought it would be in general. Kind of, I didn't know that one of his children died. I mean, I guess at that time, the Spanish flu killed so many people. Yeah. I remember Office Twin, when he was diagnosed with flu, and he called it the Spanish flu because he went to our doctor who's Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you don't That's have Spanish. That's not why it's the Spanish flu. <laughs> no, because it was influenza. <laughs> Spanish influenza. <laughs> he was dying <laughs> he is very artistic <laughs> it's, it's the Spanish uh, la gripa la gripa oh I want Italian food now uh, mm. is there anything else that you want to add I think this is a good little start into Freud well it's uh, no it's it's really interesting and I can't wait for next week and um, yeah I'm thinking anything else that I could think about for Freud I would have to say that I'm I, I was surprised to know a, a few things. I was surprised to know that he was disfigured from the, the cancer. I was surprised to know that. Even his uh, uh, link to Carl Jung, I think, was very interesting. And was Jung here in Vienna? Like, was um, he... he was German. I think he probably came here. Because what's really interesting about this time is that 
so kind of the late 1800s, what Freud kind of brought in was talking therapy because at the time electroshock therapy was like the premier way of dealing with people. And he was the one who decided that instead of treating it almost like a disease, treating it as neuroses and the right. idea of talking to the person and walking through it. So there was so much change in psychology at the turn of the century that probably Jung did come here, I'm guessing. I mean, there was a really good, psych not good psychiatric hospitals. There were psychiatric hospitals with a lot of research. Mm. And you see that also in that series that we were watching, Vienna Blood. Well, I mean, it, you really think about it. I mean, there was, I'm guessing in that period of time, he was kind of considered controversial because he was the person who was not doing it with electroshock or medication. And then think of how many people are in therapy now who talk out their feelings. Mm -hmm. So really, he was the guy that, that started this whole thing, which is a really big deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah. I think it really did change the face of, of psychology and how it's approached. And we'll definitely talk about the kind of the debunking later on. Um, there was another thing I was going to mention about the change in psychology and how it was approached here. Oh, also in World War One, which I did, I forgot to mention, was he did study shell shock. That was something because mm. there were so many soldiers coming back. So that was what we call now post-traumatic stress? Or, exactly. Uh, yeah. I think it, yeah. I, or is there another? Uh, no, no, but for, uh, well, we started calling it in uh, the U.S. Gulf War Syndrome when oh. people were coming back. Like they would have, you know, they would be overly stressed. And I mm -hmm. think that was the first time. I mean, it shows how late in the game it even started to be addressed for soldiers. Because mm -hmm. they're coming back, obviously, with some kind of shock. But they, they call it, oh, yeah, it's Gulf War Syndrome. But, <laughs> where I think that might also have to do with some kind of gas that they were using there or something. I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> This is this is this is the the problem where you you have notes prepared and I'm just uh, you know no you're doing off. great you're I'm doing, doing great. fantastic I'm like you know <laughs> Sigma what do you did think of you Boston? know <laughs> get a Boston listener and uh, by the way send all your comments to Toma no. well I do I do also have to add that last week after you crapped on Philadelphia we ordered Philly cheesesteaks right afterwards <laughs> <laughs> it was on sale. Uh, it's a really good one. They were delicious. They it's, were fantastic. It's called Phillies, right? It's right by called Phillies by Carl's Flats. Oh yeah, highly recommend it. Not an ad. <laughs> this is not an ad, but if uh, we are we are accepting sponsorship uh, deals. Okay, only and, if we uh, agree with your ethics. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with their cheesesteaks. It was uh, actually they're actually really good. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that's it for now. And next week there will be uh, part two. We'll definitely talk about. Uh, Vienna in the 1930s and then World War II and what happened to the father of psychoanalysis and also a couple of different interesting facts and figures and I guess that's it. I hope everybody has a great, well, it's, this is coming out Sunday yeah. evening, so great rest, rest of the weekend. Do you want to add anything, honey? No, I just wanted to say that you are looking especially lovely today, so I <laughs> What did you do? I didn't do anything. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Can a, can a guy be nice? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye.